You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary South. We exist to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission by seeing the lost redeemed, the redeemed matured, and the matured multiplied for the glory of Jesus Christ. For more information, visit redemptioncalgarysouth.com. And so we are back in a new year, and we're back in the book of Mark. It seems like it's been a little while. It's been over a month since we've been uh, back in the Gospel of Mark, but we are returning today, and I'm excited for that as we follow in the footsteps of Jesus Christ uh, in response to His call for us to follow Him. And that's the whole reason that we are here this morning. We are here to follow Him. That's the reason that we call this series Follow Me, is, is that's His words to us, to His disciples in the Scriptures, and also to us, for us to follow the Lord. That's the whole message of the book of Mark. If you want to summarize it in two words, it's follow me. It means that we believe in him. We, we follow him with our whole lives. And we look at scripture and we see that he specifically calls his disciples and he specifically calls each and every one of his disciples today. Peter, Andrew, James, John, and Matthew, we've seen that already here in the book of Mark and he's going to call more and he calls each of us here today as well to turn away from our sins and to trust His ways, trust in who He is, to give up trying in our own strength to die to ourselves and to walk in His footsteps, in His Spirit, in His ways. And so are we believing Him? Are we following Him today? Are we dying to ourselves? Well, that's going to be our our theme today as as we... uh, We turn to chapter 2, verses 23, and then into chapter 3, verse 6. You can already start turning there. We see how Jesus called his disciples. They immediately left their nets. They left their whole lives to follow him. Already through the book of Mark, we've seen Jesus himself baptized, this miraculous baptism where his father proclaims him as his beloved son, how the Holy Spirit came down in the form of a dove and gently empowered him for ministry. We've seen his divine teaching. We've seen his authority, how he cast out demons and how those demons themselves testified that he is the Holy One of God. He has such authority. He is the God-man. He is God on earth, God with us, Emmanuel the creator, healing people of their diseases. Remember the lepers, remember the paralytic, how they were restored to perfect health, how how limbs were restored perfectly, how he loved and, and how he saved, and how he saved the most wretched of sinners, you and me, the most wretched of sinners he saves, and how he also revealed that he has the power to forgive sin. What love, what grace, what mercy. And then we also seen up to this point how he so boldly rejected self-righteousness, right? As he had conflict with the Pharisees and with the scribes. He was confronting their self-righteousness. Remember he says in Mark 2, verse 17, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Friends, this is your God. This is Jesus Christ. Are you believing him? Are you following him today? Well, welcome back to the Gospel of Mark. We get to dive in even more into this today. So again, chapter 2, verses 23 and on, we're going to see Jesus 
We're going to see him again running headlong into conflict with the Pharisees and the scribes. And this time it really has nothing to do with healing. It has nothing to do with the power to forgive or him eating with sinners or having to do with fasting. This time it centers around the Lord's holy day, the Sabbath, the Old Testament Sabbath, the seventh day of the week, this day that is set aside for rest. And we're going to see here yet again Jesus boldly confronting religiosity, religion, legalism with the Jewish leaders. And he's going to show them their grave error and how they are holding to legalism. That's going to be really the theme of this morning. How legalism is self-righteousness. And uh, rather than, rather than self-righteousness, we need to be running to that free grace given to us by God. And so in these next 12 verses, as we witness this scandal on this Sabbath, you and I are also going to be challenged to look at ourselves. We're going to be challenged to see what we're holding to. As Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath, we're going to ask ourselves, what are we holding to? Is he Lord of our Sabbath? What are we trusting in? Is it law or is it grace? Is it faith or is it self-righteousness? Or is it Christ's righteousness? So as we turn there, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to open your holy word again. We thank you that, Lord, that you speak to us clearly, boldly, sufficiently through what you have written through faithful men. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are mighty to teach the truth, that you are powerful to open our hearts. We thank you that you expose our sin. You reveal it to us so that we can turn from it and turn to you. Lord, we thank you for this morning. Speak to us through your word. Open the hearts of your people that we would receive it. Move me aside and do the work that only you can do. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So as you're in chapter 2, verse 23. One Sabbath, he, Jesus, was going through the grain fields. And as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, have you never read what David did when he, he was in need and, how, and was hungry, he and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of presence, which it is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Chapter 3. Again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. And said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. So as we've just read together, we see two confrontations here on one Sabbath, both the same day between the religious leaders and Jesus Christ 
and his disciples. And, we're gonna, and we see here that there's two key words that keep repeating themselves. We see lawful and we see Sabbath. Lawful and Sabbath. So biblical lawfulness refers to obedience to the laws that are clearly laid out by God in Scripture. And the Sabbath was the day of rest that God instituted from the very beginning of his creation. Remember all the way back to Genesis. As, as God completed his creation, he, he, he spoke the whole universe into existence in six days. Six days. Six literal days. He spoke the whole creation, the whole universe into existence, and then he created a day of rest. And so we enter this story today in the footsteps of Jesus and his disciples on a Sabbath day. And they were obviously hungry, and they fed themselves on the grain of the field like we just read. And through this, they created quite a stir, quite a reaction from the Pharisees, which leads to our first point this morning, that legalism always adds. Legalism always adds. And we need to quit trying to earn grace. Verse 23, on one Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields. And as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? We're going to stop there. We're going to see that legalism always tries to add to grace. And so we see, that, we see these Pharisees and we see the scribes here. They were experts in the law and they were experts at adding to the law. They were experts at, at adding rules and regulations, stacking them on top of God's laws. And in this instant, we see them adding things on top of the grace that is the Sabbath. And you see, the Jews back then, they took the Sabbath extremely serious. And, and in all respects, that was a really good thing. They should have taken the Sabbath very seriously. God takes the Sabbath very seriously. Because from the very beginning, like I said, God had instituted the seventh day of the week as a day of rest. Genesis 2, verses 1 to 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. And so we see here God setting up a pattern. It's actually a working pattern for the lives of his people. It's a rhythm of life that he has set in place that is good for us, but is also a constant reminder that he is our creator and that he rested and enjoyed his creation. But then we also see that there was a commandment later in, in the Ten Commandments, right? The Fifth Commandment, Exodus 20, verses 8 to 11. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day to the Lord your God. On it you shall, do, you shall not do any work, you and your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, 
the sea and all that is in them. And he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and he made it holy. So we see that the Sabbath day is a holy day. In God's direct revelation, right, given through Moses, people were to take the Sabbath seriously. They were not to work at all. And so by the Lord's example, we see that six days is, is enough. Six days of work is enough. And the seventh day for them, Saturday, was set aside as holy, a day to rest from working. But the problem with the scribes is that how good that was, they added to it. They added on top of it. They were adding man's laws to God's laws. And when it came to the Sabbath, and they attempted to define how do we apply this in our lives, what they ended up doing was creating rules on top of rules. In fact, they created 39 different types of work that was prohibited on the Sabbath. And so according to their writings, the third forbidden work that they were trying to define was the work of reaping, that is the gathering of grain, okay? And so as the Pharisees, as they see Jesus and his disciples walking in this grain field, and we see them gra grabbing the, the heads of the grain and rubbing off the husk and, and eating it, they are accusing them of reaping on the Sabbath. And so we see here that, that legalism, this addition of their rules, legalism is always trying to add to grace. You know, even today, the Orthodox Jews, they hold to extra-biblical laws and rules, even to this day. We know that they have rejected Jesus Christ, by and large, as their Messiah. And they still hold to ceremonial laws from the Old Testament. Extra-biblical laws that, that they ended up adding in, in what was called the Mishnah and the Talmud. Even today, they try to follow these 39 Sabbath rules uh, that I just mentioned. And then even today, they've had to further define how to follow these extra rules. For example, there is a, there's a rule that they have that they are not allowed to start a fire on the Sabbath, because that would mean that you're working to make something, okay? Well, today we have electricity. And they know that electricity is energy, and when you flip a switch, you can cause a spark. Therefore, that is a fire. And so they have kind of these rules. Well, we can't use electricity on the Sabbath. That's real Orthodox Jews that would hold to that. And so we see them having to try to modify, modify their laws to fit their ways. They also have other laws of, of, of carrying items that they try to define still today, too. So carrying something from one place to another. If, if, you're, if you're carrying something, say you're going to somebody's place for the Sabbath meal. Say if you're going to have a meal with your family or friends. If you're carrying something and you remain within your home, one domain, that's a good thing, right? That's okay. But if you want to go to your family's place and you cross into the public sphere then what you're doing is you're actually working as you're going from do domain to domain. And so you'll even see today that they actually tie homes together with strings so that they are considered one domain. And this is even still done in New York where there's a lot of Orthodox Jews as well. So it's really interesting how they try to add in order so that they could follow. And they, they take it to the point of faithfulness, that their following is, is their faithfulness. Their law-keeping is their faithfulness. They create laws on top of 
laws. And so as we look at that, we might think, okay, that's really foolish. And even looking at the scribes and the Pharisees in our example in the scriptures today and say, that's so foolish, right? But friends, we have to, we have to realize that the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. This still applies to us today. What they're doing here is more natural than we think. Because in various ways, we still do the same things. Sometimes we still fabricate rules and laws on top of God's commands. Friends, if you think about it, you and I probably hold to maybe some kind of form of legalism in our own minds. Maybe you don't even think about it. Maybe it's something that is unspoken, but you believe it in your heart and you hold to it. We'll just get some examples here. Perhaps you have a certain perception of what a Christian looks like, how they are to behave, how they are to dress, how they should live. And when I say this, it's not what's clearly written in Scripture, what's clearly forbidden, but you have an idea that you're adding on top of the clear teachings of Scriptures, principles in your life, principles um, of, of living that, that maybe God has convicted you of, and then therefore you might apply to somebody else beyond what the Bible teaches. We know that the Bible has clear instructions on how we are to behave, how we are to dress. The Bible teaches us about humility and kindness and modesty and hospitality, all kinds of things, and we teach those. But what I'm talking about is, is beyond what God's Word declares. So maybe it comes from an application that the Holy Spirit has revealed to you in your own life. Maybe there's, maybe there's a weakness in your life or an area that needs work. And you've decided with God through his word how you're going to make clear changes in your life. And you're, and you're making clear choices as to how I'm going to live this out, right? You've defined, well, this is how I'm going to help myself keep, this, uh, keep these commands. That's good. We love that. Do that, right? But friends, the moment that you take your own convictions, your own preferences, and you make them into laws, you're bordering on legalism. You're bordering on legalism. You're attempting to add to God's grace. Sometimes we set standards and rules in an idealistic way. We set the bar so high that when we don't achieve it, we begin to question our faith. And what ends up happening is we end up undermining grace. Let's just think about another example. Let's just think about your Bible reading. This time of year, right, everybody hits the 1st of January. Where's my Bible reading plan? I'm going to read this thing every day, and I'm going to follow it every day. Well, maybe you've also made a commitment. Anybody follow Tim Challies, right? He has a reading list, three different tiers of, of reading lists to walk with him through some really good Christian books. So you, you're saying, I'm going to read 24 Christian books this year, two a month, right? And so you're doing your Bible reading, you're, you're reading these books, and then April comes and you're behind. April comes and you've only read half of the books that you've wanted to read. You're, you're five weeks behind in your Bible reading, and you begin to question your own faithfulness. Perhaps you're fighting a sin 
a sin that, that, that you, you thought you had freedom from, and then you find yourself there again momentarily. Perhaps you're not feeling the joy that you once had. Perhaps you're, you're struggling with, with depression, or sadness, or fear. And you think to yourself, real Christians don't feel this way. Maybe I'm not even a Christian. And this comes to us in various, various forms, friends, where we're, we're really good at adding to what God has clearly instructed and making them laws. And it's such a natural thing for us to do because in our flesh, we are like the rest of the world. All world religions want to work their way to salvation. But the truth is that we forget grace. We forget that He did it all for us. Yes, we are to respond in faith, in obedience, and read God's word, see what he has commanded clearly, respond, and make convictions for ourselves, but don't make rules on top of rules, and then set them as God's law. And so we see here that legalism is always adding. By example of the Pharisees, they have added 39 laws. They're trying to earn grace. We've got to remember that we need to quit trying to earn God's grace. And so we see Jesus confronting this next. He confronts this religious legalism. And what we're going to see in the next part is that legalism always forgets. Legalism always forgets, and we need to be careful not to miss the whole point. Verse 25, he said to them, have you never read? He said, have you Never read. Just think about who he's talking, talking about here, or who he's talking to. He's talking to the scribes, the ones who are the experts in the scriptures, the ones that have read the scriptures over and over again, the ones who are copying the scriptures over and over again. He says to them, Have you ever read? Jesus is going straight for the jugular here. Have you ever read, he says, what David did? When he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which it is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So as Jesus always does, he takes them straight to the word of God, these professional scribes. And he corrects, he corrects their interpretation. He corrects their application of the Sabbath. He recalls the story of David in, in 1 Samuel 21, running for his life. He was being pursued by King Saul. And so he goes to the priests of Nob, where, where the tabernacle was, and his band of young men are waiting for him, and they were all famished. And they were in great need of food. And so he asked the priest to give him bread. But the only bread the priest had was the holy bread of presence, bread that was consecrated for the Lord, bread that only the priests were allowed to eat after a week of being present before the Lord. 
We see Jesus here with his disciples. They were in need. They were hungry. So Jesus is showing the scribes that human need should take precedence over ceremonial law. And even more than that, he shows them that they are ultimately missing the whole point of the Sabbath. That their elevation of their man-made laws has blinded them blinded them to the grace that is the Sabbath. He's he's showing them that their legalism was actually forgetting grace. And he, he says to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. As you look at that, there is so much irony going on here. These Jewish experts who were, who were claiming to, to protect the Sabbath, they were judging the creator of the Sabbath. These scribes who claimed to rightly understand the word of God are confronting the word of God himself. They're confronting Jesus. They're confronting the only high priest. They're confronting the one who would fulfill the law perfectly once for all. They didn't get it. They forgot grace. And so Jesus, who has ultimate authority over the law, over the Sabbath, over Scripture, over the temple, the creator of the universe, the Son of Man, as he says, he firmly corrects them by showing them that their theology was upside down. He's basically saying, I'm the Son of Man. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. I'll tell you how to understand. And he shows them. He shows them that what they were doing was making man subservient to the Sabbath when the Sabbath was actually intended to be a servant to man. He says the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. You see, they had it all backwards. They were missing the whole point. They weren't understanding that when God rested on the seventh day, he didn't need rest. He wasn't weary. He wasn't tired. God does not tire. He's God. And he chose to rest. He chose to dwell that day in his creation and enjoy it. Jesus says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. And so in a bit of a side application, there's still the principle in our lives today as Christians to have a Sabbath's rest. We should still have a weekly day of rest. It's good for us, not because it's a law, because it's good for us. Although the New Testament in Hebrews 4 teaches us that Jesus became our Sabbath rest, the principle of the grace of a Sabbath is still good for us. Again, not that it is a law, and not that it is the seventh day anymore. In fact, ever since uh, Christians, ever since Christ rose from the grave, as, as Christians began gathering together, they began gathering together on the first day of the week. 
Biblically and historically, the church has held to gathering on the first day of their week, the day of their worship of God and rest. Acts 20, verse 7, on the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread. 1 Corinthians 16, 2, on the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up. We just see this, this practice in the Bible and also in the early church of gathering on the first day of the week. And so we see that there is a rhythm at work here. There is a rhythm that God set forth as six days of working, one day of rest. We think of that and we think, wow, I thought I had two days of rest on the weekend. Six days of working, one day of rest. So it's a gift of God. To apply that to your life, that day of rest is a gift to God. So in your own way, apply that Sabbath's rest into your own life. But when, we, when it comes to the Pharisees, we see that they were adding to the Sabbath. They were, again, piling rules up on top of God's good grace, showing us that legalism always forgets. Don't miss the whole point. So when we think about this, in any of our preferences... Any of our applications of God's word, you and I need to be careful. Because if we're not careful, we will miss the whole point of grace. We need to be careful not to miss the point of God's grace. That in our choices and in our convictions, we don't become like the Pharisees. We don't become like the scribes, polishing the outside of the cup, whitewashing our tombs. Looking good on the outside, but dead on the inside. And I think sometimes we're guilty of this. We're guilty of this. Right? Maybe we're having a really rough week, and we put on our mask. We make ourselves look good. We tell everybody everything is going great, and it's not. Right? You've got to be careful not to miss grace. Because legalism always forgets. Now, the text turns inside of this confrontation to another one. As Jesus and his disciples, on that same Sabbath day, they are faced with the healing of a man with a withered hand. Chapter 3, verse 1, again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And what we see here is that Legalism always accuses. Legalism always accuses, it says, to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. We need to stop measuring horizontally. So we see him entering a synagogue again. He's been doing this throughout all of his ministry. The text doesn't tell us which synagogue. It could be the synagogue at Capernaum, or it could, it could be any Galilean town in the area that he was ministering in. We don't know, but he enters a synagogue. The synagogue is the house of worship on the Sabbath day. And there stood in front of him a man with a withered hand. Now, I've tried to come up with uh, some kind of an illustration of what a, what a man with a, a withered hand would look like. thought maybe I could bring somebody in here today with a withered hand and, and show you what that would look like. But I couldn't find anybody. Actually, I think I have a picture of one. You want to put it up there? So that, that's a, 
That's a young man with a withered hand. Really, actually, the text is showing us here a man who, uh, the, the, the withered hand would be a man with a shriveled hand or missing his arm up through the forearm. And so I stand before you as a man with a withered hand here this morning. I've got a withered arm. I was born this way. From the time I was in my, my mother's womb with my twin brother, my arm stopped growing. It withered. And so as you, as you look at that picture and you, you see this boy with one arm, and you see me here before you, just imagine Jesus walking into a synagogue seeing somebody like me. A man with a withered hand. And Jesus looks on him with compassion as he always does to people feeling the effects of the fall. And the Pharisees knew this. They knew this. They knew that Jesus could not help himself but heal that man with a paralyzed hand. But Jesus looks on him with compassion. And so the text says, as these Pharisees are watching him, the text says they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath. Why? Why are they watching him? So that they might accuse him. Accuse him. Friends, legalism always accuses. Legalism forgets to measure vertically. Legalism measures horizontally. So according to the Pharisaical law, again, they're man-made laws, healing was not allowable on the Sabbath. Healing was only allowed if somebody's life was in danger. Now, if you look at me and you think of that other man, I'm, I'm not facing death because of my arm. I'm not experiencing, uh, you know, it wasn't just cut off and I'm bleeding to death. I'm not dying right now. And so they watched him. If he was going to heal them, he would have broke their laws, their pharisaical laws, because it wasn't a matter of life and death. One thing we need to note here is, remember where they are. They are in a synagogue. They are in the place of worship. And in that place of worship, you see the Pharisees, you see the scribes. They're watching Jesus. Not in a good way. Not like we are to be watching Jesus. They're watching him to accuse him. And so we're getting, their, we're getting some insight into their hearts. Insight into their perspective of worship. Instead of worshiping God in the splendor of his holiness and his majesty, they're looking horizontally. They're looking around, looking to someone that they have a problem with, and they're judging him, and they're watching him with evil intent to accuse him. Again, we see that they're missing the whole point of their faith. They're more concerned with the horizontal than they are the vertical. They're more interested in judging and accusing someone of sin than confessing their own sins to God and repenting and believing in Him. Legalism always accuses. It always measures. It always judges horizontally. Now, back in the first point, I brought up some ways that we we still do this today in our own lives. But this section should remind us that we also do this towards others. 
We sometimes judge and we measure other people's holiness. We measure their faithfulness by keeping our eyes horizontal rather than keeping our eyes on the Lord. Do you guys agree this is true today? This is still alive and well today. It's a part of our fallen nature. These scribes and Pharisees reveal that we sometimes, even as Christians, have a tendency to be pharisaical. We have a tendency to judge others. We have a tendency to hold other people to our own laws. We put ourselves up on a pedestal and we look down at other people. We may say to ourselves as we're, we're looking horizontally, I can't believe that they would watch that. Did you see what she was wearing? Did you see what they posted online? Or maybe you just witnessed them doing something that you wouldn't do as a Christian. And when I say this, remember, when we're looking at things that are clearly forbidden in Scripture, well, that's okay. In fact, within the church, we are to judge one another inside of the church, meaning that we're in each other's lives, getting to know each other, showing each other our sin, going gently, speaking the truth in love, being kind, being patient, investing in one another, and then taking deposits now and then, meaning that we are, we're actually going to help each other to grow in our faithfulness. That's good. But the moment that we take our own laws and we apply it to somebody else, the moment we take our own preferences and we put it on somebody else, we're being legalists. We have lots of preferences. We have lots of convictions, and that's good. As, as the Holy Spirit works with you through the Word, He might be revealing to you, you're weak in this area. You need to take a hard stance in this area, and that's good but you can't impose that on somebody else. Maybe that's the personal conviction of, of, of abstaining from alcohol or going to the movies or how we dress. You know, a, a kind of a clear example that I can think about is, is how we raise our children. Whether we choose to public school our children or whether we choose to homeschool our children, and I speak as a family who has homeschooled and who has also publicly schooled our children. Sometimes we can set standards within the homeschooling movement as this is what you need to be doing as a Christian. I know of a church that uh, if you're not a homeschooler, you feel very unwelcome. You feel, you feel like a failure. And the whole church is homeschoolers. And if you come from a public school, you feel like an outcast. So choices like homeschooling or public schooling or food or drink or style of worship, hymns only, drums, what our church meeting space looks like, name anything. We end up setting standards, we end up setting preferences, and we apply them to other people as legalists, we have to be extremely, extremely careful. We have to be very, very careful. Let the Lord do his work in his time on other people's hearts as he works in your heart. Stop 
measuring each other horizontally like the Pharisees. Yes, we confront each other in our lives. That's how we love one another. That's some of the one another's we have. We, we speak the truth in love, but we don't hold people to our preferences. Because legalism adds. Legalism forgets. Legalism accuses. And finally, we see legalism hardens. Legalism always hardens, and we need to turn from our deadly ways. Verse 3. He said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him. How to destroy him. Friends, Jesus knew exactly where the Pharisees were. He knew their hearts. He knew what they were thinking. He knew that they only had evil intentions for him and his message. And so he shows them so boldly, so clearly, how their infatuation with their man-made laws have caused their hearts to grow hard. To grow hard against God, to grow hard against the greater good. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save life or to kill? How do they respond? They were silent. Here they're faced with eternal truth staring them in the eyes, showing them yet again, giving them an opportunity to turn from their ways, and yet they were silent. They were unrepentant. They loved their system. They loved their self-righteousness. Their legalism was the highest thing. And their hearts were hard. They were immovable. They had hearts of stone. Apart from grace, we love our own way. Apart from grace, we seek to serve ourselves. Apart from grace, we want to follow our own fallen version of the truth. Apart from grace, we create idols. We create laws. We create religion. This is what the human heart does. So let me ask you, is this you right now? Are you holding on to a cold, dead heart? Are you looking for answers in the horizontal, the things of this world? Are you trying to satisfy yourself with the things here? Is your heart still hard? Do you love yourself the most? Are you like the Pharisees and the scribes? Are you continuing to reject the grace of Christ? If you are, you're grieving God. It says Jesus looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. Friends, Jesus loves to save sinners. Sinners like you and like me. 
That is why he came. His desire for those Pharisees and for you and I today is to turn away from our sin. To turn from our lives. To turn to him and to receive salvation. Full and free. Bought in Jesus Christ alone. But if you're still like the Pharisees, you're still like the scribes, your heart is dead. It is a stone. And you're storing up anger, you're storing up wrath against yourself. Because he is angry. He is grieved by your sin. He's grieved by our hard hearts. Jesus looks around them with, with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. And he says to this man, stretch out your hand. Stretch out your hand. And his hand is restored. Fully restored. This is a picture of salvation again. That Jesus came to restore hardened hearts. To restore you to his presence. Such grace. In Jesus Christ, we can be restored into the presence of God forever. But then we see verse 6. What do the Pharisees do? The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him. How to destroy him. This is the ultimate outworking of a hard heart. You continue to hate God. And you are bent on destroying who he is in your life. Legalism always hardens. It always hardens hearts. And so we're to turn from our deadly ways and trust in him. Jesus said himself, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. I am the Lord even of the Sabbath. Jesus is our Sabbath's rest if we are in him. Remember Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 to 30. I love this. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. I love this. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So let me ask you, is he your rest today? Is he your rest? Or are you vainly striving in your own strength? Are you trusting in your rules? Or are you trusting in his grace? He is our rest. He is the Lord of your Sabbath. Hebrews 4, 7 references Psalm 95 like we read. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Legalism always adds, it always forgets, it always accuses, it always hardens. Quit trying to earn grace. Don't miss the whole point. Stop measuring horizontally. Turn away from your deadly ways. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you that uh, in this example of of our Savior and his disciples, 
and their confrontation with the scribes and the Pharisees, the, the religious legalists, that we get to see the deadliness of legalism. We see the fatality of religion. Lord, I thank you that in your word you show us over and over again that, that you are one that restores sinners. You love to save sinners. We even see in this text how you gave the Pharisees and the scribes another opportunity. Another opportunity to not harden their hearts but to trust in you. Lord, that is our prayer today among us, that you would continue to grow us, you would continue to change us, that if there is anybody here this morning that doesn't know you, that they would not harden their hearts, and today would be the day of salvation, that they would trust in you. That is our prayer, that is our plea. Thank you for this example. And we see that this conflict, this confrontation, it ends with the scribes and the Pharisees going to the Herodians, and they are looking towards a cross. They are looking towards death for this man that is disturbing their system. But what they don't know is that the cross was ordained by you to save mankind from their sin. And for that, we thank you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.